Hey, this is Bob Lee, and you're listening to Over the Ball with Kevin Flynn, the world's game from an American perspective. Hey, hello, everyone, and welcome to Over the Ball with Kevin Flynn, alongside soccer journalist Sam Griswold and media executive Grail Hallett. Today on OTB, our salute to Soccer America. We help celebrate the 50th anniversary of Soccer America, one of our sponsors, of course, but I like to refer to them as the American Soccer Publication of Record. They have seen it all in the world. Uh, filled with football news, they somehow managed to cover it all, uh, or most of it anyway. I don't know how they sleep at night, uh, to tell you the truth. Today, we get to talk to the editor-in-chief of Soccer America, Paul Kennedy. This guy's a soccer guru, a swami. He's been around the soccer community for a long time, and he's seen a lot of changes, the good, the bad, the ugly. But enough about Grail. <laughs> no, the soccer landscape is certainly – Grail, I don't know why I go at you every time. Sam is so quiet and nice. I just, you know – That barely elicited a chortle for me, by the way. I know, I know. Uh, but anyway, this is the first time we've got Paul on OTB. Uh, I tried to get him on uh, when I was at Sirius with this show and at ESPN. And he was always too busy. He's on the West Coast and uh, pumping out articles. So I'm glad he can join us today. We're also going to have the senior editor of Soccer America, Mike Wojtola, on. Mike is a, a friend of the show. It's been a few weeks since we've checked in with Mike, um, and it'll be great to get caught up with him and talk about, you know, the Soccer America's anniversary as well as uh, some of the current happenings around the country and around the world, believe it or not. And even in spite of this whole coronavirus, which I hope you are all staying safe in out there, uh, there's still soccer news to report. So uh, I especially, guys, I want to talk to him about uh, this long-awaited uh, long bloodletting that's happening uh, with the, the top executives over at U.S. Soccer, uh, and also the, the, um, the cancellation of the development academies. So uh, Soccer America and Ticket IQ are our sponsors, uh, so we'd like to say uh, thanks to them. All right, guys, looking forward to today's show um, as we celebrate Soccer America. But first up, what are you guys over on Over the Ball? Sam? Yeah, so, well, you guys can judge if I've done this, interpreted this correctly, but I've been watching a lot of old um, Serie A games, as I'm sure a lot of people have, kind of throwback games. Um, and it's great because on YouTube you can find them with the Italian commentary. And it makes me realize, again, just how poorly presented Serie A is in this country. So what I'm over is, you know, guys stuck in cubicles in Bristol, Connecticut, calling a game uh, halfway around the world. I think they need to find a way to allow people to watch these games in their original language if they like to, if they would like to, if they so choose. Even in Italian? Um, in yes. You say Canada. you want the broadcast to be in Italian? No, here? I want the option for it to be in Italian as well. Because well, you, you speak Italian. Most, most Americans can't even speak English, for God's sakes. <laughs> so in Italy, when I lived in Italy on Sky, yeah. if I watched a Premier League game on Sky, I had the option to watch with Italian commentary or with the English commentary. That's Interesting. fair. Yeah, but so, most Italians can't speak Italian here. It's like me speaking Gaelic. I just don't see why the op it can't be an option. That's all. I'm right. Saying. Well, because you probably double the budget, right? You'd need another whole crew. Well, no, you just take the actual feed coming from oh, Italy. Oh. oh, I see. I see what you're saying. Okay. Sam, I, uh, Sam, you know, this is this is a very complicated concept for Flitty, clearly. <laughs> I, well, there's I not, there's not enough going on right now for to find a simple thing to be over. So it really exactly. I agree. They should have different snacks in the stands. <laughs> and uh, Grail, what's your beef today? What are you over on over the ball? I am over transfer talk. Um, in this void that we're in, 
the transfer talk. That's look, look, on. look. That's an alternative lifestyle. Don't no, in all in all the uh, all the leagues, especially over in Europe, they're just grasping for something to talk about. So everybody is speculating: Could Harry Kane be going to Manchester United? Could so and so? Can oh, is yeah. Pogba going back to Ju- Juve? Is so and so? And again, none of it is none of it's tethered to reality, but it's just put out there because there's nothing else to talk about. Is Kevin Flynn going to be signed by the Gunners? Uh, I'll tell you, no. Uh, but Sam, you've mentioned this before. I would love to see what the percentage percentage of those stories that actually come to fruition and actually happen. I think it's in the single digits. Very few. But speaking of Pogba, that's interesting because watching these games from three, four years ago when he was still at Juventus, I mean, he yeah. was so dominant. It's just unbelievable. And, you know, I don't watch much Premier League, but the, the sort of narrative I get is that he hasn't really, you know, settled at Man United, which just, it baffles well, we, me. We talk a lot, Sam, about the, the system, the Berhalter system. Yeah. But I think so You much, do. You yeah, do. I do. Don't but put so Sam much, and I on that one. No, but so much of a player's ability to thrive is the system in which they're playing. And sure. if you look at Pogba playing for the French national team, France national mm-hmm. team, France, and you look at him playing for Juve, those systems really – uh, accentuate, you know, his gifts, right? Yeah. Whereas yeah. Man United, I just, it felt like for some reason, kind of square peg round hole hmm. for him. You know, it reminds me of like, when I was starting to do stand-up comedy in Boston, we used to love to have the big star, whoever it was, come to Boston, and then we'd throw about 10 guys up in front of him to make him sort of pay a penance to, to before he could perform. So we try to almost ruin the crowd for him. <laughs> and, I, and I feel like, because uh, then we'd be like, hey, look at us. We're all these funny Irish Catholic guys. Or, or these guys from Boston. And um, it, I feel the same way about English soccer sometimes. The Premier League, they'll take a player like a Pogba or a Mesut Ozil, And the way they sort of play, their sensibilities, uh, their flair, if they don't work hard off the ball, they're suddenly criticized. Even Ozil, with the amount of uh, positive passes, the amount of positive impact that he had on the game with assists um, and possession and, and uh, you know, passes that were successful, they don't care. They didn't care. Uh, they were criticizing him because he didn't hustle back, get back, go side. So I think Pogba was the same thing. I think they thought he was going to come in and save Manchester United, yeah. and he didn't. But like you said, the system did not play to his strengths. And then after a while, as a player, you start to lose confidence. And it seems like the Premier League, more than any league, is these these – takes guys almost a year to adjust to whatever that system is. Yeah, I mean, Di Maria never adjusted to Man United. No. I mean, he was a great player, got there, just kind of faded under the system. It just sometimes it doesn't work out. I mean, but, but, but to be fair, guys could also go to Syria and La Liga and go to a team there and not fit in with their style either. So it just, mm. you know, it really depends on the player and the system. If right. you guys didn't ask me what I'm over, you're not, you're not even going to want to hear it. No, no, we were so going to do that. What, what, what are you, guys, you over? I am sick of this whole, uh, you know, parody. Look, University of Cincinnati, we're going to talk to Paul Kennedy about this, but they dropped the, the men's program. It, it, it pisses me off because, look, as soccer players, we have always been second-class citizens in sports. You know, we were taught non-intense sport. I remember the first year I got to the University of Massachusetts, there was a line for the football team and a line – for the other sports and their food was much better. So I would just hop over that line and be like, start eating. They're like, you're not on the football team. I'm like, yeah, touch this. <laughs> so it's like, it's sort of, 
It Always is amazing. Always looking for a fight. Always I looking was, for a I fight, was. So, uh, And I found a lot of them, too. But I'll tell you this. They dropped the men's program. Um, and you, you talk about parity. Men's programs, college soccer programs, and women's college soccer programs are not equal. Women have it much better than men. And that's because of Title IX, which I'm all for. And I always go at you with this, Grail. I'm all for Title IX. Absolutely. I have a daughter. I'm all behind it. What I'm saying is football never gets mentioned. And they talk about football. The football team takes 80% of the budget. And yet when this, when anytime it hits the fan, you know, soccer goes. So it's already a disparity there. Because here we are, we're talking about the women's national team is talking about, oh, they deserve to get what the men's teams get because of uh, what it's paid. But it with with college soccer, we're thrown in with the football team, men's programs. It's not men's programs. It's men's football that takes everything. And then the, the teams that get cut are the soccer teams. Look, all, and already the soccer team is not even getting what the women's teams get. So We've all lived in the shadow of football wherever we've played, in high school or college, right? I mean, it just – it was – football was always number one, and we were, like, right. number 10. So, right. I mean, it's just the, – that's not going to change, unfortunately. They'll say I, I disagree with that. It's driving all the revenue. I and mean, they'll just argue. They're not driving the revenue. That's the thing. Do you think the University of Cincinnati football team is driving revenue to that school? That's absurd. I if don't they're, know. They're, they're in that. No, they, there's no way. There's no way. Most <laughs> programs don't make money. The big ones do. You got our buddy uh, Clemson. At, at Clemson, Clemson. Mike yeah. Doonan. Hey, Mike loves a football team. They bring in a ton of money and everybody's yeah. happy. Right. Yeah. Everybody's happy. But when you say that, well, we're a revenue sport. Well, you bring in revenue, but how much revenue do you suck up or how much, right. uh, you know, of the infrastructure money do you suck up? So you've got no argument. Funny. You got no argument with me, brother. I know. I'm just mean, arguing. I'm spitting. I mean, and I'm yelling. Might, and I'm howling in the wind. here. If you were in the room here, you might take a, a t throw down with me or something. I don't know. Hey, so, uh, well, I just worry about the state of U.S. Yeah. soccer because, look, uh, you know, uh, even this lawsuit that's going on, man, if you take down the men's team, you're taking, you know, the women. Be careful what you wish for, because uh, soccer will go back down to where it used to be before yeah. uh, you know we had some success in this country. Speaking of which, in this country, uh, Sam, you sent me an interesting article on uh, Seth Blatter. Apparently, said that we can, we can, the U.S. can possibly host. I can't believe, first of all, that anybody's listening to Seth Blatter anymore. <laughs> but apparently, this guy got a forum to speak. Uh, the 2022 World Cup. Cutter, believe it or not, paid some kickbacks to get some votes. <laughs> wow, what a surprise that is. Oh, my God. I'm sure it involved hookers and uh, plates of caviar and all kinds of money. But, uh, look, Russia was a surprise to get the World Cup. And Cutter was, like, out of the blue. You've got to be kidding me. Everybody knew. It kind of blew up. Uh, blew up FIFA, basically. Not that there's been a lot of changes there. But uh, what are your thoughts on that? Are we going to host the 2022 World Cup? And how did he quantify this? Uh, I don't think we're hosting the World Cup. I don't think it's going to leave Qatar or Qatar, however you say it. Um, I mean, yeah. I think it was more a statement of the U.S. is a place that is infrastructure-wise ready tomorrow right. if we needed to host a tournament. I mean, he also mentioned Germany and Japan as you know other potential places it could happen. I, you know, to me, the fact that the next World Cup after is in North America. Yeah, it makes even less sense. So I, I don't see it happening. I mean, Cutter's also got a problem with uh, infected workers, workers that are there, migrants that are there to help build the stadiums have gotten COVID-19. So they're very concerned about what's going on there. But I'm, I'm with you, Sam. I think it goes ahead. I think, I think qual World Cup qualifying now probably gets delayed. 
just because yeah. every because the whole calendar now is so compressed with the leagues trying to get completed, Champions League trying to get completed, whatever, that I think uh, the qualifying is probably going to get pushed back. The one good thing about Qatar is that since, since it is happening in November, December of 22, much later in the year than a normal World Cup, you've got more time to play with. But, uh, I mean, it's just a domino effect across global soccer, right? Everything is kind Every of... Every sport. Even yes. L.A. announced yesterday, what, a, a year. No outdoor event concerts for a year. I think, well, you know... concerts and sports, right? Uh, Garcetti basically said nothing till 2021. Right, which is just unbelievable here because, uh, you know, Sam actually said we could host this thing tomorrow, but in fact, we probably well, couldn't. Yeah. No, I know, I'm kidding. You. The, yeah. the infrastructure is here, but uh, it should be uh, odd. You know, I'm, here I am pissing and moaning about college football programs, many, most of which don't make money, but say they're revenue producing. NFL, they're the big dogs on the block. They make a lot yeah. of money. And wow, that's going to affect so much. I mean, half these people, nobody's going to know what to do in the fall. What but do you do will, on Sunday? It's like, honey, what's your name? But it's oh, really yeah, going right. yeah, to be up to the governors of the individual states who determine whether or not those sports go ahead. It's not up to the commissioner. It's not up to the president of the United States. If Gavin Newsom says that, that L.A. You know, is not going to be playing football um, in, their, in their stadium this uh, fall, it's not going to happen. Uh, everything's uh, nobody knows what's uh, going on. So World Cup qualifying will probably be delayed. Um, some interesting news with the Spurs. Uh, talk to us yeah. about that, Carol. Yeah. So Spurs owner Daniel Levy, who's kind of a controversial guy on a good day, um, had this, had for two weeks he'd been saying he was going to actually cut back uh, the um, pay to non-playing staff to eighty percent. And the not only the supporters, but players like Harry Kane and Hugo Lloris, their keeper, went nuts. And so he's had to back off that. So now he's agreed in April and May, for April and May, to pay 100%. And he's also agreed not to tap into the uh, coronavirus job retention scheme, which is a government fund, which is really meant for companies that are under distress. Yeah, sure. How about, um, but uh, what about the players? Are the players taking a haircut? Players haven't, that hasn't been determined yet. A lot of, uh, I think a lot of ex-players have voiced their opinion uh, that they should step yeah. up and do it, but it, that hasn't been resolved yet. But, um, but yeah, it's just been a PR nightmare for Spurs ownership because again, they just look like they're kind of out of touch with the reality of the situation. All right, so uh, we'll, we'll get to Mike Oitola in just a bit here because uh, a lot of news happening domestically. I mean, I know... Uh, you know, we've been talking about a little bit about uh, overseas and world events, international soccer, but a lot happening in U.S. soccer. U.S. Uh, soccer dropped the Development Academy yesterday. Uh, they also laid off and came out today, fired some of the key executives, Brian uh, Rometty and, and Tony Wallach. So um, and Jay Burhalter is gone as well. So, gosh, you know, these are some of the changes that a lot of people, you know, probably good people working, at doing their job, but – uh, we didn't make the World Cup. The changes weren't made. So I guess a change had to be made at the top. It seems like it's happening. So, um, all right. So uh, stay with us on Over the Ball. When we come back, we'll be talking to senior uh, writer and editor at Soccer America, Mike Voitola. You're listening to OTV.
Ferrari joining us now on Over the Ball. It's been a couple of weeks since we checked in with the senior editor at Soccer America as we continue to celebrate the 50th anniversary of uh, Soccer America. As I said, the, the, the newspaper of record in the soccer community in this country. Uh, Mike Waitola. Mike, welcome back. How are you? Doing good. I'm doing good. It's good to be back with you guys. So 50 years. Uh, so you're 70. So right. you just go there. <laughs> no, man. So, so 50 years. Uh, an amazing, an amazing run. And uh, the, the soccer journey has changed in the complexities, the college, the, the pros now that we have. I mean, what was your first uh, sort of inclusion into Soccer America? How did you come to become uh, the senior editor at Soccer America? Well, my first experience with Soccer America was in 1974 when I was 10 years old. When my family moved from Texas, which had started really, you know, embracing youth soccer at that time. That's when it all started. And but in 1974, we we got transferred to Hawaii, and I remember being absolutely thrilled about moving to Hawaii, and absolutely worried about that that would mean there would be no soccer. And um, what are, you, are you a military brat? And my father worked for the Army and Air Force Exchange Service, so he was a civilian architect. But there was a definitely a sim similarity because the headquarters, the Pacific headquarters were in Hawaii, world headquarters in, um, in Dallas, and then we started off in Germany. So yeah, similar situation. And then we get to Hawaii, and, and fortunately, AYSO was starting, and my father got us a subscription to Soccer America. And besides listening to German shortwave radio and getting my, and my grandparents sending us clippings from German papers and Kicker magazine, we would get Soccer America and so I could keep track of the Dallas Tornado and NASL and wow. stuff. And then in 1979, I actually got my name in Soccer America because I scored a fantastic goal at a high school tournament that somehow got coverage. And we'll be the judge of how fantastic. Yeah, let's that goal send us was. the clip. Send us the clip, Mike. Do you really have the video? No way. <laughs> totally found the video. Send it. Oh, oh my see God. It. The one girl goal that Mike Oitola scored, he's got it on video. <laughs> I, I gotta, I'll put that up there so you can. Uh, yeah, we'll, we'll tweet that out for sure. We'll that judge. We'll judge. But, you know, yeah. hey, look, I, I, all joking aside, if you got mentioned in Soccer America, it was a huge deal. I mean, in college, I got mentioned. I was like, oh, my God, it was, I have arrived. It was fantastic. So I understand. When I got to soccer, when I started working for Soccer America, I told them that. And, Someone said, oh, yeah, that back then, if anybody sent us something, we'd put it in Max. <laughs> sounds like. Talk about sounds bursting like, your bubble. Yeah, Come on. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I would have had mine in there, but it was an own goal. So that was the problem. <laughs> Actually, it kind of, but the, the, the team I scored against was a high school called Akalani's in, uh, in, in, uh, out here in Northern California. And that team had players on it that ended up playing college and, uh, and pro and stuff. So it wasn't, it was a, kind of an interesting small world kind of link. But. So I'm at I'm at UC Berkeley covering um, covering the team for uh, the Daily Californian, the team that I was actually on, and they did very well, beat UCLA um, and soccer. And I started writing freelance articles for Soccer America. This would have been 1983. Um, that turned into an internship, and then into a part-time editorial job, and then a full-time editorial job. So I'm probably one of the only adults you've ever met that's only had one job in their entire lives. <laughs> Wow, I still haven't had one. That's you beating me. So that's, that's pretty good. So you Mike, didn't play. Mike, did you, Mike won Flinny nil. So did you play in college, or were you just you were a journalist? Basically, I had one goal and three assists. I um, I didn't get off the bench. I I would get off the bench at around the sixth or seventh goal if we were ahead, 
Um, so we're playing UCLA. This is a team coached by the wonderful, great Siggy Schmidt, who unfortunately yeah, yeah, played yeah. Yeah. Uh, had Jeff Hooker, Paul Caligiri, Tim Harris. Oh, wow. Um, yeah. Fantastic team. Dale Irvine was on that. I was on the bench for the Bears, and we won that game. I believe it was either 3-2 or 2-1. The game ends. What I do is I take off my sweat, my take off my um, sweat, you know, uh, training jacket or whatever the cow stuff. I put on a civilian type jacket and then I go and interview Ziggy Schmidt. So uh, I did that with USF too. Um, it was kind of a secret that I was actually on the team. Not, not a hard to keep <laughs> secret, <laughs> especially to your parents. They didn't know. <laughs> are you are you on the team, Mike? I, uh, <laughs> I, I will post a picture of that as well. <laughs> oh my goodness! You you in a leisure suit sitting on the bench <laughs> and a notepad. <laughs> yeah. uh, my team was quite good too. I mean, the guys who played. They um, we had a guy named George Pastore who played for the national team. Oh yeah, yeah. Player. Um, Henry Falk, who's a, one of the best goalkeeper coaches in the country right now, was the goalkeeper. And um, as, so that turned into an internship. Uh, they fired the editor, or the editor left at the time. So there was a period where, while we were waiting for Paul Kennedy to arrive, uh, there, you know, I was one of the few people there. And then um, this was when the NASL had folded kind of the in-between years um, and then our boom years uh, started right after that when Paul Kennedy showed up. Um, I, sh I, I need to mention Clay Burling and, and, and yeah. Lynn Burling-Manuel. Uh, Clay Burling, who also unfortunately isn't with us anymore, was one of the greatest soccer people that I'll ever know. Um, A true visionary, right? I mean, because he envisioned what he this started it. world um, could be. One thing that was really neat about um, the, the response to the fact that people started learning about our 50th year starting now is uh, how it affected, how, how it unified and spread soccer news at a time when there just wasn't any. People didn't know, uh, people right. in New York didn't know that people in California were doing something. And and, and, and Clay kind of pulled that together. Um, you know, uh, it was Alexi Laos who tweeted out that the reason he went to Rutgers and his career really got going there was Soccer America. Um, you know, I remember Claudia Reyna telling me that he was interested in Virginia because we covered the ACC and, and, and spread the word right. about what fantastic kind of soccer they were playing, you know, for younger viewers and uh, viewers, uh, <laughs> listeners and, and Sam, you know, there was no internet back then. <laughs> right, right. Well, yeah. I remember, I remember Mike, the, you know, we would run, you'd run down to the mailbox to get the, to get it because what was it? I think bi-weekly. Was it? Or, we were weekly, yeah. Weekly. And I used to go under Kevin Keegan Flynn and just to, you know, say like, oh, because I'm watching Soccer Made in Germany on PBS mm -hmm. at that time because it wasn't around. But you guys covered, especially with colleges, you covered college a lot. The rankings, yeah. players, coaches. And it really, you know, gave me an insight into what was going on. And even when I was in college playing, you barely got any news about what other regions were doing unless yeah. uh, you read Soccer America. So, uh, and you're right before the internet. So, um, so how have things changed for the magazine? The magazine's more of a, a online now, an online presence. Because you yeah, guys like we you from, guys write so many articles, cover so much ground. We went from weekly, and then to biweekly, and then the quarterly, um, and then we stopped doing the print magazine simply because. Um, the, the way the media had changed and now what we do is we have a daily 
you know, we have daily e-letters. Um, it's like is, every is that harder, time. Mike? Is that harder to put out in a daily form like that? I mean, you have less time to write stories. Um, everybody knows news so fast. I mean, I get my news from Soccer America, but um, if everybody's fishing around for a particular yeah, story, yeah, certainly it's a very different type of um, situation. Um, and like all media outlets, you're talking about a smaller staff. You're talking about more pressure to do things quickly. You know, but I'm not going to complain. There's a lot of good things about it too. Um, you reach more people. You reach them quicker. Mm-hmm. Um, so you know, it's like anything else in the world. You, you adjust to, to to how the world changes. Graham, Mike, uh, congrats on the 50th anniversary. Thank you. Um, so, just uh, what's the uh, looking back over the years you've been there? What's the most memorable interview you've ever done? Oh. Oh, geez. It's a great question. Um, you know, the first thing that probably comes to mind is Bruce Arena. Um, that, and that started in college and down in the ACC where you had this New Yorker who was just, you know, straightforward, shoots from the hip. And I have to say very honest. Um, and, you know, I don't think I've ever, and I've interviewed Bruce and I still do. And um, I've never gotten this. I've always felt that he's telling me exactly what he thinks. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I have a lot of respect for him for a lot of reasons. Back in those days, and, and Kevin mentioned the, the, uh, the, you know, the top 20s and that kind of stuff. Obviously, we weren't watching all the games. We had to um, look at the scores and ask people for opinions when we did MVPs and all, all Americans. And one reason I respect Bruce so much is I would, you know, do what I would do with all the other coaches. And, and we called lots and lots of coaches and asked about players. You know, you know, I would throw out a name for Bruce of a player on his team. I go, oh, what about him? You know, <clears throat> Bruce would say, are you kidding me? <laughs> he doesn't deserve right. to be on your MVP list. Right. He was honest about his own players. Um, yeah. He's entertaining. He has a great sense of humor. Um, that, you know, that's the first one that pops to mind. Yeah, it, it, it's interesting you say him because, because Bruce Arena, when he was on air doing um, play, not play-by-play, but he was doing the color, some of the games, the exact same things you just mentioned now, I loved about him. He was so knowledgeable, but he also just – let everybody have it. He let his knowledge come flying out, his opinions, and it was great to listen to, which, you know, I always go on about, you know, broadcasting in this country and how we don't have an American voice. And I thought, oh, man, he, this guy's going to be good. He could do this for the rest of his life, be like a Bill Parcells. But here he is saving the New England Revolution again. So he's doing what he does best, I guess. Yeah, no, there's a, um, you know, I mean, I, I also think of Anson Dorrance, who I still interview uh, quite often, who, um, and a lot of people, it, 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 it makes me think about what's happening now in the Federation, and I've, and I've written about this a bit, is um, <clears throat> I get frustrated because I talk to so many people in the, in the game in the United States who are so intelligent and who care so much <clears throat> about the game in this country. And, and, and if, if our leadership, um, you know, talk to these people, and there's so many around the country, I think we would not have as many problems as we do, that we don't take advantage of the resources we have in our own country. That's to me the, what needs to happen when we come out of this, uh, when the new leadership um, you know, goes into this new era after the, the coronavirus situation we're going to is, right. no need to look abroad, not to say we shouldn't um, look for ideas there, but we need to stop um, neglecting all of the wonderful, smart resources we have in our own country. You know, it, it, you know, you guys have been pushing out um, 
in soccer America, movies to watch and, and um, you know, soccer centric movies that families can watch and everything. But the one, the one about the Carney guys uh, that I thought was interesting, the thing that happened in that one was a lot of players today don't know who John Harks is, don't know who Tony Miele is. And so we look at those who came before us to sort of, you know, have, uh, how difficult it was to sort of take the beach in this country, but even the guys who came before them. And then you're talking about some of the great soccer minds that we've had. Anson's been a, a guest on this show. And yeah, I think his opinion wasn't listened to for a long time. And you got to say like, you got to be kidding me. So it, it seems like everybody's memory is short uh, with player development here, which we want to talk about as well, but also the structure, how to make, you know, look even the college game pertinent again. Um, with the developing national team players. Um, right, so. you do, do, what, well, you do what you would do if you were any kind of business or on any kind of project. You, you think about, you ask people like, who can you, who can you uh, bring into this conversation who can really contribute to it? And it's not that hard. Any of us could do it if we sat together, come up with a long list of people who can help us out. Right. Grail? Yeah, I mean, Mike, don't you think part of the problem is, like in many companies, is that things get so insulated that you've got such a small group of people kind of talking to each other, uh, and I'm referencing U.S. soccer, <clears throat> that you just don't tap into those bright minds like Anson and stuff that you're talking about. And it, unfortunately, what it needs really, what needs to happen is for it to blow up so that you can just kind of, in a way, start over and, and, then, and then bring in different opinions. Because right now, it just seems like they've been going back to the same voices over and over and over again. We haven't yeah, I, 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 I am hopeful that the, the I, we have to remember that the leadership change just happened. Um, mm -hmm. Cindy Pardo-Cohn becoming president was just a few weeks ago and um, Will Wilson being hired was just a few weeks ago. So, you know, I, I do have hope. I do believe that they will um, pay attention to people who they because they do have they do have those kind of connections um you know what you your question reminded me of the phrase that i've been hearing for two years about chicago being an ivory tower and yeah uh, and and there's there's a lot of truth to that and, and that needs to change and it's not that hard to change and you know i've been talking to a lot of the directors of coaching um in the clubs around and they've have for the last four days in zooming and conference calling and there's actually a lot of connections connecting going on right now uh behind the scenes i, I got a text from a doc um yesterday saying it was very optimistic even though he was one of the guys who uh had been very frustrated he, he told me it was unbelievable how much communication was going on um, not with the federation <laughs> um but that's a good thing that I think the Federation moving away from being a part of the turf war, uh, not dictating, but facilitating and uh, an MLS. Um, I've heard good things from the amateur club DOCs about the communication they've had with them. So I'm hoping that within the next few weeks, we, we, we come out of this with, um, you know, a different atmosphere and, and, and even the, um, the COVID-19 situation we're going through, um, I think is unifying people. I think is sort of grounding people. Mm -hmm. It's making people care about each other more than um, maybe before. Not that people didn't care about each other, but um, there's just a lot more time to appreciate things. 
Look, this is more of a, in a way, you know, talking to my daughter, it's a sort of a 9-11 situation or perhaps a World War II from an earlier generation where, wow, the way we know the world has changed and everybody's got to sort of, you know, buckle down and reassess things. And, you know, having said that, and the, the communication that you say is going on right now, I know for me, I'm not traveling. I'm not working every day, my day-to-day -day stuff. I have time to just sort of based in my, my ideas or the lack thereof. But I think everybody's, everybody's home. Everybody's got nothing to do. I, I'm, you know, people are picking up their phones on their first ring, you know, uh, zoom in with everybody. Uh, so you're right. Maybe some, some, some good can, can happen from this. Do you have a great article in Soccer America about the Development Academy being, you know, the, being dropped? But it's also linked to what we were just talking about, which is the, the bloodletting, basically, that's happening at U.S. Soccer, where... You know, look, you know, Mike, you've been a regular on this show, even when I was at Sirius and at ESPN. We wondered what had happened when we didn't qualify for the World Cup. And it seemed like nothing happened. There was no, no panic button pushed, no big changes, no heads rolled. It seemed like it was a, a bit of a boys club there where they were sort of in their positions and nobody did anything for, for months, for years, actually. So um, talk a little bit about the... You know, the uh, a lot of people were laid off this week, which is so unfortunate during these difficult times, but certainly understandable. Um, but uh, Brian uh, Rometty and also Tanya Wallach, two you know uh, top executives at U.S. Soccer, were let go, and and also um, uh, you know Rometty Rometty took Dan Flynn's place sort of as an interim, but also uh, uh, Berhalter's gone as well. So there there is a I wouldn't say a coup, but uh, well, you had Cordero resign. You had uh, Dan Flynn left earlier. Um, Jay Berhalter resigned. Um, I'm, I'm fond of Brian Remedy. Um, yeah, and I don't know the details of, of, of why he's gone. Well, wait. And before you say that, I, I I have met most of them as well, and great guys. That's not what we're talking about. Because it's sort of almost like when I'm in a comedy club, if some guy's a hack and he's not a good comedian, we always say as comedians, you're supposed to say he's a good guy, though. You just don't like maybe what he's doing. I wouldn't even be so harsh uh, with these guys about saying that, but look, we all lose our jobs when the job's not done in a satisfactory um, way. And I think I felt like, you know, I felt like bad stuff was happening and nothing was happening on the executive level. So that's, that's all I was. Yeah. I think that the people that I think probably deserve the most empathy are those of the ones that, of the names we don't know. Um, the, there, there were people working very hard in the grassroots. If anybody somewhat familiar with the Federation knows there are so many people there who, who worked so hard for maybe you know not that much money, who were very loyal and who lost their jobs, um, who maybe just because things weren't going well and we had a lot of problems didn't mean there were a lot of people in the grassroots who weren't trying to do the right thing and absolutely to have them suffer through at this time, um, you know, as unfortunate just as it is for anybody else. Who's, who's been losing their jobs and stuff. And, um, you know, the Federation is also people, um, and I'm, a lot of people doing good things, even if, um, even if the results weren't always, didn't always work out. Sure. Although if we step back and, you know, go back and look at that Carney, that wonderful soccer town USA thing, and we right. realize how far we have come. Absolutely. Grail? So, Mike, what do you think is the first thing on the agenda with uh, the new regime as it's getting pulled together, uh, the U.S. women's national team situation? Yeah, um, 
the one thing I would say is that the letter that the Federation um, released about why they uh, pulled the plug on the Academy blamed the COVID-19 economy fallout that, that, that will happen. That's already happening. But there were economic insecurities before that because of all the lawsuits that the, the expert witness for the women is talking $64 million. I think that's off the table now, obviously, but mm -hmm. there was financial insecurity before this happened. Um, and I would also say that if the academy was going well, they could have figured a creative way to get through this regardless of the challenges. Um, not you know the the girls development academy was not going to work because so many of the teams had been leaving for the ECNL since the first of their three seasons if they're in a situation which i think they were where they knew that the was the girls the da wasn't going to work can you imagine if they had cut the girls da but not cut the boys da in this environment in this atmosphere the yeah. public uh, response wouldn't have made that possible. So it, it, it was a complicated situation. Then again, I don't think this is necessarily a bad thing um, because this way the Federation can be more of, like I said, a facilitator and a supporter and a helper instead of being part of the, um, you know, the turf war, for lack of a better word, the, the, the strife, uh, they should not be in it. They should be trying to help and unify. Yeah, I mean, you know, uh, it seems like this happened pretty quickly with the the managerial changes, and then these these uh, changes happened right away as uh, as the lawsuit. I don't know. I guess comes to fruition. It's been dragging on forever. But the the next court date is September. Is when things. No, I think it's a June. It was going to be May and then June. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I mean, I don't think it's May. They, they have to settle. It, it's got to be right. settled. Um, the the the, you know the the federation could win this case. It's not right. It's, it's the it's the apparently like you know um, we had uh, the lawyer on Stephen Banks and just it, the federation seems to have the facts on their side, the the numbers on their side. Public opinion is not. No, the, if they want, the if, they, if they went to trial and they won, that might not, that's not going to make things better either. They just need no. to come up with a, right. with a solution that doesn't destroy the rest of the game um, and, and move on. Um, well, you know, look, this is almost what, you know, I went off on, you know, this University of Cincinnati dropping the men's team. It's like, you know, we're talking about the history of soccer here, the 50 years of soccer America has been covering this game. And there's been a lot of points of, you know, ups and downs and, so all things have not been equal all the way through. So it's, it's, it's really hard. So if the facts don't sort of, you know, the argument that the women have, as opposed to the facts that, you know, in a court of public opinion and, and a real court, it's, they're definitely diametrically opposed. And so nobody wins, uh, it seems like, yeah. which is why they do have to settle. Both sides have to be realistic and settle. And I think, too, that going back to what we're all feeling and the insecurity and the, you know, the, the anxiety... For me, for example, I've been working at home for a while. So the biggest change in my life has been not being able to coach and referee. Right. And the main thing I care about personally is seeing kids play soccer and have fun. Right. Getting back to that. And, um, and yes, I want to see a pro league. I want to see games again and everything. But 
all of these other more complicated things and some of the excesses that that have been i think not great for the sport are going to go away because the situation is going to be different you know people are going to think more about they're going to think locally more than they are nationally they're going to think about making um soccer fun in their area instead of worrying about flying from california to florida um to have a college coach scout them that the college situation is going to be it could be radically different it it, who knows what college soccer is going to be like because it's going to be affected by everything else if the football season doesn't happen um which is a possibility after the basketball season's not going to happen that the financial hit that's that the athletic departments are going to take is going to be profound um but but what annoys me about that one again being soccer centric here is is sort of the the discussion of a football team at the pace of the trough sort of never gets brought up it's always like ah there's no football season because most football teams division one college football teams in this country do not make money that's a that's a misnomer they they draw 80 percent of the budget and they take that and so no one's saying we won't have a football team. We're saying let's cut every other men's sport and have a football team. And it just seems like sort of a back ass argument that, that annoys me. You know, um, I, I sound like an old man here, but that's sort of right. And it's, but, but the money, the, the revenue that, um, that's needed for, for non-revenue sports comes from all kinds of different areas, all of which could be affected, whether that's tuition money, whether that's the money they make from foreign students, I mean, for everything that's that, that, that we're worried about, there could be a positive. For example, uh, the percentage of foreign players in college soccer, I understand, is higher than any other sport. Uh, so, you know, it's like 35% of Division One men's, and most of those players probably may not come, and that might, that, that's going to, so that could op- open up opportunities for American players. American players, yeah. Um, there's all kinds of things that are going to be different, and if it's handled right, um, there could be a lot of positives out of that too. Um, the worry is things like the Cincinnati, you know, cutting programs. That's right. Right. Sam, you had a question? Uh, yeah, actually, Mike, just to, to look abroad for a second. Um, I really enjoyed your interview with the Fiorentina CEO, Joe Barone, um, talking about the situation at the club and in Italy in general. Um, and I'm just wondering if, you know, what insight that gave you on the situation there and, you know, what we might be looking at going ahead for games getting back and stuff. Yeah, the Joe Baroni thing was very interesting. You know, you have an American and New Yorker who's uh, in charge of a Syria odd team and, and him, him and Rocco Camiso, who had bought the team. And, and, and bringing some of, the, some of the positive things from the, the American approach to Italy, um, and then just being able to talk to someone who was in the country where, you know, things had gotten bad, you know, very quickly and, and, and severely and, and finding out that he's okay um, and he's positive and Italy being a country that I think we all need to keep a close eye on because yeah. that'll help us navigate uh, a lot of things here because they are, you know, ahead of, they, they're ahead of us and what we're going through now. Mm-hmm. Or we don't take any advice from them, which it seems to be the way it's, it's going so far. But, um, you know, and I got to say, you know, 50 years of Soccer America, let's hope for 50 more for sure. The game changes constantly all the time. But I, you know, you cover so many things. We got to wrap it up here. But I, I just want to give you your props because there is a world, literally a world of soccer to cover. I don't know how you guys 
find the articles, find things, or or sort of collate what's the most important thing to give to your uh, to your readers. But you know, one thing that struck me is one of the things you wrote about making it fun for kids to play again, and you touched upon it here, which is really what this is all about, and the sort of thing where let the kids scrimmage in the beginning. Why save it for dessert at the end, you said, which is so interesting because think about it, guys. If, if practice started with a little kick around, you want to get to practice on time because you don't want to miss the kick around. So it's fun and they're getting there instead of at the end. So uh, it's little simple things like that that I think we have to sort of recalibrate, recalculate, and uh, bring this game into the next into the next century and uh, get it to the next level. Well, Mike Wartola, as always, we enjoy uh, you uh, here. We enjoy all the articles you read all week uh, that we get, Soccer America, um, one of our sponsors. But, you know, like I said, it's been the paper of record for, for soccer in this country for a long, long time. And uh, we appreciate all the work you do with all the stories that come out uh, in your in your daily up updates. So thanks for joining us on OTB. Well, well, thank you. And likewise, when it comes to, to what you do and, 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 you know, talking about the things that um, make soccer fun for us and, 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 and bring us together and everything. So it's always a pleasure to be with you guys. I wish you all the best. I'm glad you're safe and I hope all your, all your friends and family are safe too. Absolutely. And um, I didn't know you didn't play college soccer. Otherwise, we wouldn't have associated with you. But we appreciate you. You're a nice guy and a good writer. <laughs> and hey, we want to see that goal, Mikey. We want to okay. see that goal. It'd be hysterical. <laughs> All, right. All right. Mike Oitola, thanks. Joining us now on Over the Ball, I have been trying for a long time to get this guy on the show. He's the editor-in-chief of Soccer America, and of course, it's our salute to Soccer America, one of the many we're doing, 50 years of Soccer America, and this man has been a huge, huge part of it, uh, Mr. Paul Kennedy. Paul, welcome to the show. Well, thank you for having me. I'm glad I could be on this morning. Yeah, I know. Finally, I haven't said, like, when I was at Sirius XM, I was trying to get you on. When I was at ESPN, I was trying to get you on. So you were like the elusive uh, man behind the curtain there. Paul Kennedy. And we, we were laughing before because the amount of articles you write, I can understand why you're tough to get to interview because you're constantly yeah. pumping out information. So uh, your writing schedule, what's your writing schedule like? Um, it depends me a little bit now with what's going on. It's a little different, um, but usually I'll work. We, Soccer America Daily goes out at 6 a.m. Eastern time, which is 3 a.m. Eastern time. Nice. Here in California. So that's really my deadline, which sometimes I'll go past and it'll go to like four in the morning. And, uh, uh, you know, but it, it just depends. But, you know, it's a, it's a lot of work. Um, and uh, with a small staff, you know, you only can write one, you, know, you only can produce one story at a time. So it, it takes a long time. Right. Well, with those hours, Paul, you could be a stand up comedian. So uh, that's, yeah. that's what time. That's what time. <laughs> well, that's, and, and that's why. Yeah, a couple of times they tried to get me on, and it, and it was you wanted to do it earlier than this, and I said no way I could do that. No, I, I hear you. We understand why now. So uh, we're we're talking about a little bit of the history of Soccer America. How did you uh, get involved with Soccer America? What what was it like? What what's that story about? Um, in nineteen Soccer America started in nineteen seventy one, mm -hmm. which was about the time that I got really interested in soccer. Um, 
1972 and 73, in the summer, I was in, uh, you know, late teens, and I had a job in New York City where um, I worked on the, lower, on the east side, not too far from the New York Public Library. And in those days, trying to find stock information was like really, really hard. Impossible, yeah. So, but I would go to the public library, go through the books, try to find stuff. And I found in there a reference to the fact that the Soccer Federation put out a yearbook. And the Federation at that time was on, was at the Empire State Building. And so I one day went over to the Empire State Building on my lunch hour and asked if I could, I walked in the door and, knocked and uh, asked the secretary if I could buy a copy of the yearbook. And uh, so she went back and, and I'm, I'm sure the person that was there at the time was Kurt Lamb. And I said what I wanted to do, and it looked like, it looked like I was from Mars. That, that, yeah, that, odd that, request. Know, no, one, no one had ever uh, asked them for that. Yeah. And so I got, the, got the, the yearbook and it was filled with soccer information, you know, it had about the national teams, a little bit about MLS, and it had stuff about the various uh, state associations. And in the back was an ad for Soccer America. And so I clipped it out, sent it in, and I was, that was probably a month before I was going to start to, at Colgate as a freshman. And for whatever reason, I knew my, what was going to be my P.O. box in the, you know, in the, in the, where everyone had University, yeah. And uh, sure enough, like the first week I got there, I got my first copy of Soccer America, which was their college preview for 1973. Oh. Yeah, and it, and it was filled with all kinds of stuff that you know I'd never heard of, and it was you know, and for an issue that college preview at the time was 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 really really good. Um, and oh, so huge! I remember it during the eighties and ninety. You know, the, the college, if you yeah. got in there, it was you you made it. No, and then that's where you know uh, we're jumping around. But last week, uh, um, when I mentioned it was a fifty year, there were. A lot of people put out stuff about what they remember about it, and Brian Dunstan included a whole set of uh, copies of from the issues that he had that his parents had coincidentally just bought with them when they came up from L.A. to move to near where he lives in in Real Salt Lake in, mm -hmm. in Salt Lake City, and in there were were copies of the 1993 college preview that were just you know uh, just you know really quite amazing. Wow! So you you saw that magazine? It was like nothing. There was and, nothing and, else. And, you know, and, 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 you know, if you look at the, if you look back at it now and the articles in there were not, you know, they weren't, uh, it wasn't great writing. It was, uh, um, but the thing was, is that it had information in there that no one, no one knew about because soccer wasn't covered. And obviously there was no internet these days and, and uh, regular newspapers didn't cover it. And the thing that, 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 I, that I've stressed to people is, it was very inspiring to people because if you were some guy in, uh, you know, in Wisconsin starting a soccer club and, you know, you've got the soccer Jones, whether you, you know, you were American or whether you were an immigrant coming over, you had no idea that what you were doing was being done elsewhere until you read right. South America. Graham. Hi, Paul. Uh, congrats on your 50th anniversary. Thank you. Uh, um, so just since we're taking the walk down memory lane, um, looking back, what's the most personally impactful event that you have covered over the years? Um, personally impactful, I'm not sure. 
Um, there, uh, there were, you know, the most, there are a couple of memorable events. Yeah. Well, let's now, go with that. Now you should, you're probably going to say Grail's career at Middlebury College. I would say it's probably <laughs> one of the top. <laughs> uh, to me, the most uh, impactful event were, were the 1990 uh, Federation presidential election. Best game I ever, most impactful of what I can remember today was the uh, 2002 opening U.S. game in uh, in uh, Korea, where yeah. U.S. beat Portugal three two after leading like two nothing in about 25 minutes. Mm-hmm. Um, I would say the most impactful thing about Soccer America is I met my wife working on the job. Wow! Nice and. Uh, my wife, Shirley, um, who was uh, born in the United States of Mexican immigrants when she was a teenager, her father had a heart attack, so they moved back to Mexico. And so um, in her early, early adulthood, she was going back and forth between Mexico and the U.S. And she had a, she, her younger sister um, was going to UC Berkeley here where Soccer America is located. And her parents wanted her to move up her and sort of look after her. So she got a job working at Soccer America in customer service. At that time, all our subscription fulfillment, meaning uh, if you mm-hmm. wanted a subscription or you had a problem with your subscription, you would call the office where we had uh, two or three people working. And this would have been 1990. And by that time, soccer was starting to get um, on the air places. A lot of people would have a, a real old live satellite in their houses where they would watch soccer. And, uh, um, you know, for people like Kevin in New England, you, would, you're, you were sort of lucky in that, that you had relatively good reception on a satellite over to Europe to be able to watch, you know, uh, European Cup games and some leagues and stuff like that. Yeah. And so we would, we would get all kinds of questions from our readers. They would call up and say, you know, uh, when's this game on today? Or... The guy will be at a bar somewhere saying, I have a bet with somebody that, you know, who won the 1962 FA Cup, and I think he's wrong. And uh, and it was the point where we as the editors were getting asked way too many questions, and it was too uh, disruptive. And so we set up a system where when they would call to Shirley, um, she would have enough information so that she could be able to answer most of the questions. We'd have the issue out with the, the TV information we did have. And we, we set up a thing so that if uh, someone, she had a, had a question that she couldn't answer, she would tell them, well, um, if you give me 24 hours and call back tomorrow, um, I'll come, please call back and I'll try to have an answer for you. Wow. And first of all, that cut out about a lot of people right away that they weren't going to bother. <laughs> call back, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but what, what I would do is every, um, and I was the one who, you know, you know, because of my soccer knowledge, knew all the answers. And so every um, afternoon at four o'clock, I would go up and, and she would give me list off the questions she had and I would answer them for her. And that, you know, over the course of about a month led to, uh, you know, us talking all the time. And she was telling me how um, when her, uh, they'd moved, she and her sister had moved, she'd gotten a car, but her only her sister drove the car because it was a stick and she didn't know how to drive a stick shift. And so I said, oh, I'll take you, you know, I'll, uh, um, Oh, I see that happening. Uh, that's, I think I've used that move once or twice. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> stick shift. And, uh, um, so I, uh, um, you know, I said, well, I'll do, you know, if you want, I'll give you some lessons and 
pretty soon after about two or three lessons of romance started. The rest is, rest is history. Well, I, you know, plus you were playing Karnak with your knowledge of <laughs> soccer. So she was impressed by your mental acuity. The, sw the Swami. <laughs> the Swami of soccer, right? Yeah, I mean, I'm not going to call you from now on. The, the Swami, Swami of, of soccer. soccer. That's his new handle. So, Paul, for all the progress we've seen over the years, like I said, I used to, in college, my God, when that, when, you know, the, the weekly came out, I would just be, that was it. I would just head to the room, read it, you know. Um, and if you got mentioned in there, oh my God, it was like you just, you'd made it. It's everything. But so there's been so many changes in this country, some good, and then there's uh, some bad. You know, we don't qualify for the World Cup, a terrible, you know, story. Um, we watch some of the changes that are happening at U.S. soccer right now. And one story that's sort of upset everybody on this panel is uh, University of Cincinnati. He had a great article in Soccer America about that. They're, they're dropping the program. Can you give us an insight into that? Um, University of Cincinnati um, is a, uh, I'm not a great college football expert, but I, but I believe it would be described as a uh, mid-sized uh, football school. Meaning it's yeah. not it's not Alabama, it's not a Clemson, it's not a Pac-12, it's in the AAC, not the ACC. And the ACC uh, schools like that you'd be familiar with, like UConn. Yeah, they go, if they win every game, they go to the Pioneer Bowl. I think that's their exactly. big <laughs> yeah. That's it. And uh, so it's a you know it's not a big it's you know it's a big uh, sports school, but not you know, a wealthy sports school. Right. And, uh, you know, like, like a lot of schools are facing, uh, college sports is a very uncertain future and will have a very uncertain future if uh, college football isn't played this fall or, um, you know, from a cash point of view, we'll have a very uncertain future if they even move into next year. So this year they, citing the, you know, uncertainty of what's going on, they dropped men's soccer. The reality was is that it also was a program that, you know, they, they had, you know, it started in 1973. Um, again, back to, you know, when I, um, that first college uh, preview, which I saw at Soccer America. But in all those years, it only qualified for the NCAA tournament twice. Um, you know, and so it had been on the chopping block for a while. And this was the event that um, uh, prompted the school to drop it. Um, you know, I think um, the other issue they said was that it's a school that, you know, like a lot of schools, they'll, you know, every two or three years, they'll, they'll, they'll sort of shop around and look for a, a better conference to be Conference, in. yeah. And uh, one of the, you know, the big five power conferences, I think they, they call them, is the, the Big 12, you know, with, with Texas, um, West Virginia. Um, it has 10 teams, even though it's the Big 12. And only one of them have men's soccer. So the point was, is that uh, if uh, it moved to the Big 12, like it's hoped to, um, you know, the, the, the men's program would be without any teams to play in a conference. Leave there, yeah. You know, and, I mean, you that, know if they're, they're talking about the success of the, the University of Cincinnati men's soccer team. Let's look at the success of the University of Cincinnati's men's football team and how well they've done over the course of years. You know, because look, the trend is uh, downward for a lot of these. You know, you mentioned UConn; they're struggling. Boston College is struggling. It seems like anyone who's not down south or out west is sort of having a tough yeah, time yeah, yeah, putting yeah. a program that, together. That, that's been something that's going on for a while. I, I, as I said, I don't consider myself an expert about the 
the college football business, but mm-hmm. you hear a lot about um, some declines in attendance, um, decline in quote participation of alumni, meaning it isn't as you know, obviously you have sexy, uh, sexy is it one, you know, for, for alumni to spend every other weekend traveling somewhere and tailgating with their buddies from their frat 30 years ago, that, Mm -hmm. that might've been more common, um, before, you know, obviously at a, at a few schools, it's still big, but, um, a lot of places at the margin, it's, it's starting to have, uh, uh, some erosion. Yeah, if you talk about the margins, you drop a football team, suddenly everybody has enough money for every sport, uh, men's and women's. Uh, Grail, you had a question? Yeah, so, Paul, do you think uh, this could be a, the precursor to a lot of uh, or a number of uh, men's and women's soccer programs being um, shut down, just given the financials? Not, not women's, Grail. Women are okay. going to be fine. Well, well, women's pro- it's Title IX. It's Title IX. So it's sort okay. of... How about just soccer programs generally? Men's soccer programs are the ones that are going to be cut. I think uh, women's programs would not be immune to cuts if there are if there's a comparable amount of cuts they can do on the men's side. And so the point would be is you know first off you have women's programs uh, have more scholarship money to begin with than men because it's I think it's eleven versus nine point nine. But the point being that that uh. You know, it'd have to be a dollar for dollar cut on the men's side and on the women's side, which in some cases I think is going to happen. The point being that uh, one of the things these uh, um, second tier conferences, of which there are five of them, have asked the NCA for a waiver for the next four years about the minimum number of programs they have. I mean, right now, I believe the number is they need to have either 14 sports, seven and seven, or six men and eight women. And that keep, you know, forces them to have sports like, in some cases, like soccer. Um, but if there's that waiver and that number is reduced by a couple, that will put programs in jeopardy that weren't, you know, in jeopardy before. Um, and at that point, you know, the, the problem that, say, soccer will have is that say compared to a sport like track and field, um, which encompasses then cross country, in some cases could be indoor track and outdoor track, the dollar savings there isn't enough than it is for soccer where you have a bigger roster, you have more travel, it's just a little more expensive sport. You could also see sports like baseball, you know, I could see being on the chopping block in a lot. Sure, especially regionally. Um, is there a scenario, Paul, where this could actually be a turn of events that could positively impact soccer? I mean, will people take a look at their, their budgets, their amount of participation in youth, in college, uh, you know? Um, um, I, I think in some cases, you know, I mean, again, you know, without, you know, they're going to they're gonna need money, which is why, you know, that's the thing about football is that it brings in money that other sports simply don't bring in, you know, for, and that's... Um, for how, you know, I mean, to me, obviously, I think we'd all agree that, you know, they could cut out half the scholarships in football and, and uh, make savings that would be twice over. Yeah, in, it's, uh, it's in the I 90s. Mean, I think. Think. Combined, you know, yeah, it's, it's in the 90s, why, Division One. Yeah, exactly. I mean, what, you know, why do you need, you know, I mean, it's so bad in college football. You look at a roster and there'll be two number 22s because they go right. over 
Right. And they'll give scholarships to players that they don't want to go to another school. And then everyone always talks about, uh, you know, a non-revenue producing sport, but maybe a sport produces revenue, but at a deficit. So, you know, they, let's say they bring in 1 million, they're losing 2 million or 2.5. You know, I, I know the University of Massachusetts, the year they won and they went to the Pioneer Bowl, they lost $2.5 million to the program. So, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That, that's where I'm um, like, you know, I, I said I went to I went to Colgate University and, and we would play UMass, you know, cause it, was a, it was a good regional rival for them. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, um, they even got a situation where it started out with no scholarships, but they were forced to add scholarships just to compete with, you know, a school like UMass. Mm-hmm. And, right. but, that's small, small, but we're talking about way, way down the, the ladder. Um, you know, I think at say the division two and division three level, there was the first school that made major cuts this week in St. Edwards, which is a small division two school in uh, Texas, that, that um, soccer will be okay. Because if you're talking about a program where it's not scholarship, you will have a situation where a lot of kids will want to play, you know, at a uh, college program. Mm-hmm. If and 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 if there's a situation, whether it's through paying the tuition um, to begin with, or getting some uh, academic or other financial aid, um, uh, it is attract. You know, college sports is a very attractive thing to draw kids to you. But yeah, and, mm-hmm. right. And yeah, so yeah. that you know, I can see, say, in New England, where you have a you know a ton of small Division three schools, private schools. Um, I would imagine that soccer will be fine assuming they keep all, you know, just their sports program in their entirety. Yeah, you have those NESCACs, if they compete within their, 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 their region there, um, everybody's happy. It's like the Ivies. If, you, if you're winning in the Ivies, everything's okay. The problem that'll happen is if these teams, you know, like I know at UMass, we had one and a half scholarships, and yet we were playing Hartwick and teams that were fully funded, and you sort of say, like, hey, why didn't you beat them? It's like, well, it's apples and oranges, really. Let me ask you another question, Paul. I wonder what the ramifications of this will be. Um, we're going to have Sasha uh, on next week from from um, Maryland, Maryland talking about the split season. Do you think this will be this whole a Corona shutdown will impact that as well, or you know, or what are your thoughts on whether it was going to go through or not? I, you know, I I'd say first off, I had been a doubter about it. I was. And so the fact that they were, you know, using now a football analogy, they were about at the, you know, in the red zone somewhere, you know, inside the 20 um, with a decision that was going to be made, you know, I don't remember the day, but it would have might have been this week, I think. So I was, I was amazed at at the progress they'd made on it and the fact that they were close to getting it passed. Um, But with what this would happen, you know, it'll never happen. You don't think so? Yeah. It's, you know, schools will be, you know, impacted so much that to make this something that the fact that it might be a tiny bit impactful some way of even shifting dollars around is something that a school won't make because at this point, all they're going to do is cut things. And so that, sh- that, that shift of what they might save in one place to an expense and us, they'll just cut that expense and not add it back in. Right, right. I, th- I mean, I think a lot of these programs, colleges, will just be waiting for the dust to settle and it won't settle for that, that four or five years. To, you know, and that's where, 
with everything that everyone faces in their personal lives, their, their professional lives, and in this country, is, it is that uncertainty that is, as much as anything, but is freezing um, decisions from being made. Oh, gosh. Well, I don't want to end on a sad note because I have enjoyed your work for so long, uh, Paul. Um, yeah. You know, so soccer has survived through, through everything. I mean, when, when Noah gave us a, a chance at anything, we just kept, kept playing the game we loved and talking about the game we loved. And in your case, reporting on the game that you loved. Uh, you're a huge part of the history in this country, uh, yourself and Soccer America. So uh, we hope uh, another 50 years of it, maybe not for you and I, but, uh, <laughs> but for Soccer America for sure. Uh, Paul Kennedy, the editor-in-chief of Soccer America, thank you so much for finally joining us on Over the Ball. I'm going to get my, my time zone thing straight. We're going to get you back again as soon as we can, okay? Oh, I'll, I'd love to be on again, and I, uh, you know, I can say I really, really enjoyed this morning, and I hope you guys are all uh, safe, and we'll be able to uh, enjoy the rest of the week. Okay? Absolutely. All right. Then now, yeah, don't uh, take your wife on driving lessons for the next couple of yeah. weeks. Stay indoors, Paul. Everybody out there. All right, guys. Paul Kennedy, thank you so much. Well, that was the, the Wizard of Oz as far as soccer is concerned, Paul Kennedy. Is that the first time you guys have talked to him? Yes, and, uh, and, who, knew, and who knew that he met his wife on the job? Yeah, I know, How exactly. You actually couldn't do that today. You could not, if you're, do you the think? Swami of soccer went upstairs to, the, to her office and was just helping her out with those answers, the trivia questions. Oh, I'll teach you to drive. It's like, go! <laughs> A lawsuit right there. Get out of immediately. my car. <laughs> yeah, you can't, you can't invite someone into your car. But uh, it, was, it was great to, to, I don't know, just I didn't know a lot of that stuff about, uh, you know, he's a, he's a lawyer. Paul's a yeah. lawyer. Um, you know, and the, I always love the discovery of soccer. Uh, it seems like especially people that are in their 50s uh, to 60s, they all had some sort of foreign experience where, you know, I know when I got to a certain level, somebody's father worked for the World Bank or somebody's father was a sergeant in Germany, um, something like that. That's my dog, by the way. He's a sergeant. <laughs> um, Grail, you, you spent a couple of years in England. Uh, you know, um, Sam, you were in, in Italy, but I think you were a soccer fan before that. But it's always like, you know, you, you learn the secret language somehow. And it was interesting to, to listen to Paul's journey. Yeah, Paul and Mike. I mean, they're just so incredibly knowledgeable and prolific. I mean, that's the thing that blows me away more than anything is they they crank out a lot of really, really good stories. I'm not mm -hmm. just saying stories in general. Their volume is extraordinary. And, and in this new technology age, that's what, they, that's what they have to do. You know, it's not like they're weak when it was a weekly and they not saying that that was easy, but it's just a totally different ball game. And and how active they have to be on social media, and all the other things that that go into the job nowadays. My God, get a room, you two. Um, all right. So <laughs> hey, uh, all right. So you wanted to mention Peter Benetti. I did. So uh, just on a, on a personal level, you know, Peter Benetti, who was nicknamed the Cat, a great goalkeeper for oh, yeah. Chelsea and England. 
Um, Sam, got, Sam, we almost got through an entire show. No, I know. Without I know. a Chelsea mention. I know. He had to play for Chelsea. No, but he was, uh, I lived in England from 1970 to 75, so it was actually five years. And uh, Peter Benetti was in his heyday then. He was, he was just a top flight keeper. Uh, he was Gordon Banks' backup in 66 and, and 1970. And unfortunately, you know, he, he died at age 78 from Alzheimer's. And he's always got, in my mind, kind of a bum rap for the 70 World Cup where England was beating, leading Germany 2-0 uh, in Mexico City and uh, just kind of wilted in the heat and the altitude and ended up losing 3-2. Uh, Gerd, Gerd Müller, the great striker of West Germany, once again came up with the big goal. And Benetti was blamed for the loss because Gordon Banks got food poisoning. Peter Benetti was thrust into the starting role. And by all accounts, except for maybe one questionable goal, the first goal played well. But it, he was always saddled with that. His entire career, you know, 729 appearances for Chelsea playing for England, he could never escape it. And I just felt did he give up? Did he give up soft goals? He gave the first goal was uh, was a goal that, by all accounts, and he would admit he should have saved. But the other two were not his fault. Nothing he could do. Defensive lapses in my mind. But he always, you know, it just it pained me because when I would go to Stamford Bridge to see Chelsea play, and Benetti was in the nets, the opposing fans would always chant, "Who lost the World Cup? <laughs> Who lost the World Cup?" Mm -hmm. And it just followed him everywhere. The poor guy could not escape it for his entire life, which was just right. unfair in my mind. All right. So thoughts and prayers go out to the Benetti family. Uh, 78 years old? 78 Alzheimer's. Very Good unfortunate. stories. All right, Sam, that it? You got anything? Uh, you, you brought up Italy. So we, we've, we've covered Italy and Chelsea. So I think we've... Yeah. And I've and I've vented about uh, college soccer and the disparity between men and women's programs. So pretty much <laughs> no. well, the we same knew, show. We, we knew that Andrew Dice Clay would come onto the show at some point and talk about the women's, the women's oh, yeah. title nine and everything else. I just love that they're suddenly throwing men's soccer in the mix with men's <laughs> program football programs. Great, that's exactly what we need. So, all right, guys, that's all the time we have today on OTV. Want to thank our sponsor, Soccer America. And Ticket IQ. Uh, also, I'd like to thank our guest today, uh, senior editor at Soccer America, Mike Boitola, and uh, editor in chief, the guru, the swami, Paul Kennedy. All right, guys, for Sam Griswold and Grail Hallett, I'm Kevin Flynn. We'll talk to you next time on OTV.